Good afternoon, my friends. The doctor is in the house. I'm back from a two-week hiatus, but I'm glad to be here with you guys on this happy Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode of To Your Health with Dr. G. My name is Dr. Mark Gomez. I'm a board-certified internal medicine physician practicing out of Edward Hospital in Naperville, Illinois. So welcome back. I'm so excited to talk about what we're going to talk about today because it really hits home. As a parent myself, trying to balance not only my life, but, my, but the lives of my kids and, and relationships, this topic today is going to be super important. And again, what we talk about on this show, it's really about building the health and building truth, building trust, and delivering that truth. And so all in all today, we're going to be talking about a great topic of mine, and I'm excited to launch my new series, Back to School Health Series Part 1, Social and Emotional Health of Our Youth. Again, each week on this show, we break down we break down really the important things for you to know as people out there, as you're taking care of your health, as you're taking care of your lives, as you're taking care of your family. We want people to have all the resources to be successful with their health in whatever way that health is. And the best place to start is right here, again, starting with me and my esteemed guests. Again, we're here today to build trust and to deliver that truth. So before we get into the show, I want to just quickly uh, acknowledge our sponsor today. Our sponsor today is Main Street Candy and Toys. You can check them out at www.mainstreetcandyandtoys.com. Excellent. So we're here today. We're going to talk about this new series. And I kind of came up with this idea as my kids are coming back into school. And my son just started with preschool today. And my daughter started first grade a couple weeks ago. So when my wife and I were kind of trying to develop this kind of show, we said, hey, you know what? It's, it's almost fall. We're still in summer, of course. But it's almost fall. And everybody's getting back to school. So how can we make health work? And what are the important things for us? And I said, why not talk about what it's like to be a caregiver, but also to, also to basically leverage my network of experts as they experience various forms of giving advice and caregiving from a personal level to, again, how do we help address the social and emotional health of our youth? Let me hit you with a quick disclaimer. All right. The content of To Your Health with Dr. G is for informational and entertainment purposes only and that the content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Further details can be found at www.toyourhealthwithdrg.com slash disclaimer. Again, so we're here today talking about really uh, one of the key things that came out a few weeks ago, and we try to keep things nice and relevant. Again, it's important for us as, as health educators, and we really are educators. In, in all shapes and form. I mean, I've had physicians on this show. I've had allied health professionals. I've had business leaders, community leaders, uh, public health officials. We're all trying to do the same thing. We're all trying to figure out how do we solve a problem. But a lot of times we go about it a little bit differently. But we're also trying to work equally to, again, improve the health of the communities that we live in and serve in. So today we're going to be talking about, again, the social and emotional health of our youth. So what I want to do is hit you with a couple quick facts. Fact number one. Play is foundational to physical, mental, and neurocognitive development in children. Fact number two, American kids are playing a lot less these days. Number three, from 1981 to 1997, children's playtime decreased by 25%. Uh, number four, a national survey of almost 9,000 preschool children and parents found that only 51% of children went outside to walk or play once per day with either parent. Two more quick facts. 30% of U.S. kindergarten children no longer have recess. And when I read that stat, I go, oh my gosh, I remember recess was the best time ever. And last but not least, recently that I alluded to, uh, back last month on August 20th, 
on August 20th, the American Academy of Pediatrics now has advised physicians to prescribe play. We'll talk a little bit about that. So what I want to do is introduce my guest today, and I'm so excited to have him here, and I know them all very well. So my first guest to my right, she's been on the show before. She is fantastic. She and I are representing Loyola University Medical Center, uh, or Loyola, Loyola Strip School of Medicine. I should be more precise. I'm not technically working for Loyola anymore. <laughs> but uh, Dr. Kate Johnson and I were in medical school together, classmates, graduated from Strip School of Medicine. So I want to welcome Dr. Kate Johnson, who's assistant professor, board-certified adult and child adolescent psychiatrist at Loyola University Medical Center. Check her out at www.loyolamedicine.org. Dr. Johnson, welcome to the show. Nice to be back, Mark. Thanks. Hey, why don't you give me some little, tell us a little bit about you, where you do your training, and what does this theme mean to you today? So, I, like you said, I did medical school here at Loyola. Um, I did my general psych residency and my child and adolescent fellowship at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Um, and I, in, in, my, in my current practice, I see adults, and then I see some kids um, as well, usually with my, with my residents and in, in the, the training uh, setup. Um, and I, this, is a, this is a constant topic um, that, you know, kids are, kids are just not given the time to kind of play and kind of work through what they need to work through while they're, while they're doing it. And honestly, adults aren't either, right? So I think this is a, this is a good foundation to set when they're, when they're little and, they're, and we're working on their development and everything, but it also is going to carry through well. So I'll see maybe less of them then too. Well, thank you, Dr. Johnson. And, and you're really talking about, it's important to have to be comfortable having these kind of conversations. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is why we're here for, to try to give people some information that they can then, they can then use and take and share with their, uh, whether their medical provider or other important people in their lives. My second guest, he and I have known each other for a long time, uh, and uh, he's a good friend of mine. Uh, actually, I work more with his wife, who's a cardiologist, but I know, I know this individual very well. Uh, I usually see him a couple times a year, either at a hospital function or certainly at what I call Dr. Prom every spring. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have good times there. So anyway, so I want to introduce uh, just my esteemed colleague, Dr. Stephen Kovar. He's a board-certified pediatrician at Kids First Pediatri- Pediatrics LTD. Check him out, www.kidsfirstdocs. Dot com. Dr. Cover, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you did some of your training, and how this theme of today really is important to you as a pediatrician. Right. Um, well, I went to medical school at University of Illinois, uh, Chicago, and then I did my residency at Hope Children's Hospital down on the south side, and then I've been in practice for 16 years uh, in the private sector in the western suburbs. Um, and obviously this is going to be important to me. As a pediatrician, we deal with developmental, uh, a lot of my job is developmental pediatrics, and from uh, care for the kids and making sure that they can grow up to be great individuals and great uh, adults. Um, so part of it is making sure in, uh, intellectually but also emotionally they grow up to be healthy human beings, which is a good chunk of the job. And a lot of parents, we don't, we know what we know, but we also don't know what we don't know. And sometimes parents can get very um, nervous about are they doing the right things for their kids. So my job is to make sure to tell them, yes, you're doing the right things for your kids, but also here's some things we can do to make sure you can have a great relationship with your kids because that's a huge part of, of, of my job is making sure the kids and the parents are getting along and, you know, make sure everyone grows up to be, like I said, good, happy, healthy human beings. There you go. Thanks, Dr. Kobar. And my last guest, she and I reconnected recently through a colleague of mine who's a toy store owner, uh, actually happens to be the sponsor of today's show, but uh, when I heard about uh, this next individual's 
credentials. I was very impressed, and I said, "Hey, you know, she's got she's bringing a, a wealth of information uh, to this topic of today." So I was like, "Okay, we got to get her on the show." So I want to introduce my third guest, Ms. Kimberly Mosley, president of the American Specialty Toy Retailing Association. Check her out: www.astrotoy a s t r a toy t o y dot org. Kimberly, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. It's a pleasure. Hey, so why don't you just give us a little bit about your background on even how you got to this point in life, what you're doing with the with your organization, with the American Specialty Toy Retailing Association, but and how is this theme of today so important to you? Oh, I'd love to. So, as you can imagine, our members, the members of our organization, are toy store owners, like your sponsor today. Um, and as you've met the, your sponsor, you probably have learned how important play is to those toy store owners. You know. Our members recognize the importance of play. They're not just putting any kind of product on their shelves. They're putting quality products on their shelves and making sure that the kids and adults in their, neighbor, in their communities are best served by the products that they put on their shelves. They recognize how important play is for good child development. Play is very important for all of us, children and adults. Thank you very much. So how we kind of, now that you guys met the panel, what I like to do every week when I host a show, I like to always add in some of the medical themes. So uh, as, we, as we talk about this topic today, I like to call it the chief complaint. And my physician colleagues on the panel know exactly what that means, but the chief complaint is, is uh, uh, somewhat of a medical show but also fun and full of entertainment. But the chief complaint is when somebody comes into your office and they're there for a specific reason. So our chief complaint, a.k.a. the question of the hour today, is now that school is back in session, what are we doing to best minimize the social and emotional health burdens placed on our youth? And almost kind of like, how did we get here? Because uh, we you guys are going to hear some good stories today on things that we did, but maybe the things that we did, maybe I'm just out, out of touch. I, I hope not. I still try to keep my cool and my, my hipness going on, but, <laughs> but it's important you know, to see where things have gone, gone because really when the American Academy of Pediatrics came up with their statement the other, uh, a few weeks ago, I read it and I was like, wow, they are, they are really painting uh, a, a situation that can potentially turn into a dire situation. So I'm going to ask Dr. Johnson the first question. How did we get here? Well, that's a really good question. Um, and, you know, I think part of it, it, it sort of built, I think, over a lot of years. I think that we, we get into these ideas of like, oh, I have to do X, Y, and Z. I have to check these boxes. And my kids, you know, oh, so-and-so's kids are doing these five activities, and so I can't let my kids fall behind. Like, I think that's, the, that's probably the driving force for a lot of parents is I, I don't want my kids to be, you know, deprived of anything. I don't, wanna, I don't want my kids to... to to not have the same opportunities as other kids. And so it's so it's suddenly turned into like, okay, we have ballet and we have um, you know, swim lessons and we have this and we have that and we have like interpretive dance. And you know, it's oh, oh this will look good on a college essay, even though your kid's like six, you know. Like I think there's there's a lot of that um, that's just kind of come together and it's just sort of built on, on itself and then we've kind of built on each other and I think there's also, you know, there's a lot more with the electronics these days, and, and there's a lot more just stuff to contend with, and I think, unfortunately, this is, this is kind of where we've gotten, and so I'm really glad to hear that the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics is, is sort of like, whoa, let's put the reins on this and let's make happy, healthy kids who are going to be successful adults, whether or not they can do interpretive dance. Yeah. Yeah. And interpretive dance, I would definitely not be good at. Uh, let's just be honest. And well, I, think, I think you could pull <laughs> it off. I think you'd be good. So I want to ask this next question, Dr. Kobar, because I remember as a kid, yes, I, I stayed busy. I mean, my parents had me involved in so many activities, 
and I still remember some of those great memories, and I think that really set a foundation. But is it me, or does it seem like, I mean, I felt like we had some free time, play time, but so why, why does it seem like kids now are so much more busier than what we than when we were when we were kids? Right, well, there, there's, you know, obviously a lot of uh, possibilities for that, but the biggest thing is that right now both parents are usually working, so parents have less time with them. Um, so kids are, some kids are just kind of shuttled off to different places. Here, we're going to go here, we're going to go here, so that they're kept busy. But I think as kind of was alluded to earlier, that with social media, everyone's looking at, you know, my, my best friend's son is doing this, 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 and this, so my kid has to do that. Or it's, there's a lot of keeping up with the Joneses. And so unfortunately with that, it, there's only 24 hours in the day. And because right now there's more emphasis on Edu no, I don't want to say more, edu more emphasis on education, but the, uh, the emphasis is you have to be the best in your class, you have to do this, so you have to go to your school, but then you have to do your tutor for your school because you're in kindergarten and you have to color within the lines because that's what's going to be needed, and as, you know, again, we said, if you don't do it, you're not going to get into college, and so we're going to have to do that, and so the, the play aspect of development in pediatrics seems to have taken a backseat, and it's seen as more of a... Kind of, it's a time waster. I think that's kind of the, the way that it has been viewed recently. And it's, you know, my kid, your kid just sat and played for an hour, like colored in a book. What a wait, why weren't they writing their one woman memoir? And that's the way that it, it's being seen. It's seen as a waste. And so then parents are trying to fill that quote unquote wasted time with something, quote, again, quote unquote productive. But unfortunately, it's taking away from what kids really need, which is that time to just relax. And kids are pushed and stressed into so many different, and they're pulled into so many different directions that they don't get that chance to be a kid, which is so important. And as you said, you know, when we were kids, you know, the joke is, we, you know, when, when did we come home when the lights went on and the moon was just, you know, when the That's sun when was setting? Home. That's yes. when we came home. Now, also with technology and with all the other things, kids are, they're tracked, they're, they're pushed to so many different things. They don't have that, and everything's so scheduled. And because we as parents have become, I think, a little bit more regimented and more uh, rigid in some things, we schedule, we over schedule them, and then it doesn't give them that opportunity, and that's that's a shame for kids. So you're, I think what you said is right that we haven't, we don't have those opportunities anymore. Kim, how 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 do we avoid falling into some of the pitfalls of saying, okay, hey, um, you know, this this family they're doing this with their kids, this family's doing this, kids, so I feel compelled to do this. How do we avoid that? Because again, we didn't have these kind of challenges. At least, you know, as kids, of course, you know, you you know, you're kind of oblivious to even sometimes your existence uh, uh, <laughs> to, to things. Certainly, the younger, but but it seemed like. You know, it, it just seemed like we just stumbled across this, but how do we avoid falling into the pitfalls of just falling into the trap? And now you're that parent right. or you're that caregiver who's now busting your kid all over the place and they don't get any, any playtime. Well, I think as parents and as grandparents or caregivers, we've got to recognize the importance of play. I think there, this pendulum maybe is beginning to swing back. I think um, the, the, uh, the uh, work that the American Academy of Pediatrics has just come out with is going to help. I think by recognizing as a parent or caregiver that play is just as important as academia, is just as important as some of the other activities that you're putting your child in, through play children learn, they solve problems, they become more creative, they learn how to interact with one another, there is a, a very, very funny video that's on YouTube right now with kids playing Uno and the frustration that they have when they don't win or they get a card that's not going to help them or help their, their big brother is going to, to win. And you can kind of see 
the problem solving that's happening there, mm -hmm. the, the recognizing the emotion that they're feeling and how to handle that emotion and how to handle losing the game. And the next time you play the game, you might be the winner and your big brother might be the loser. It's through play that children come to these conclusions. It's through play that they, they gain that kind of knowledge. And parents and uh, other caregivers are going to recognize that. They're going to see the growth and the learning that happens when children play. Excellent. So thank you. I love that reference because I've played Uno many times with my kids. <laughs> my four-year-old, I don't know if he really knows what's going on, but my six-year-old, yeah, she's had some challenges. She, she sort of gets frustrated if, I, if, if, we, if she loses. And it's so funny, when I used to play that game when I was a kid, my brother would, would draw a thing, it would be a draw four, and you're like, well, I just got to draw four cards and just keep going, but we didn't really make a big fuss about it. Right. And then I hit him back with a draw two. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So essentially that game is still around, but yeah, we played in our house. But when you watch that video, you can see the older children, how they are reacting mm -hmm. compared to some of the younger children. You see that progression. You see how, as they do it more, as they play more, they, they gain some of those social and emotional skills. Excellent. Dr. Johnson, why don't you tell us a little bit more about just some of the, 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 the mental health aspects, the benefits that you can get from playtime? So I think you hit on that very nicely, actually. Like, there's a lot of problem solving. There's a lot of emotion regulation that um, kind of happens. You learn how to negotiate that piece of like, okay, but I didn't get what I wanted but maybe I will next time. Or, you know, the other thing that happens, especially in sort of like free play, um, is, you know, kids work out a lot of stuff when in, their, in their imaginative play, right? And so we, we often see kids engaging in what we call mastery play. And that can be, that can actually go to a level where we start to get concerned and it tells us more that there are other things going on and we need to, you know, kind of intervene. But often this is the way that kids have to kind of communicate that too. So that's also really important for parents. But the idea is that, you know, you're, you're going to kind of recreate a situation you don't really understand and don't really know how to deal with, and you're going to play through it, and maybe your dolls are going to have a conversation, or your, your G.I. Joes are going to tackle each other, or, you know, like whatever, and eventually kids are going to kind of come to a conclusion of like, oh, okay, this is, this is what I really wanted to do, or this is what I should do next time. Um, and it, it really makes a huge difference in their, in their emotional growth over time. And the other thing is, I mean, there's a lot of, their little neurons are, are at a time when they are just growing and kind of exploding in, in younger kids and, and consolidating and, you know, kind of being, being directed to where they need to be in the older kids, right? And so there's actually a lot of neurodevelopment and a lot of, like, changes in their brain that happen when they're engaging in this kind of play. And so we, you know, we don't want to deny them that, right? Like, when you think about it from a, from a neurological perspective, they're doing huge work when they're, quote, just playing. Dr. Cobart, since the, since the statement just came out a few weeks ago from the American Academy of Pediatrics, how do you kind of interpret what they're saying into your day-to-day -day practice? Well, I think the, the most important thing, and I tell parents all the time, is kids have to be kids. And, you know, a lot of people think they're just little adults. And the answer to that is no, they're actually kids, and they need to have this time to decompress. And, and I explain to parents, too, that, you know, when you come home from a long day of work, you don't run to do more work. You want to just come home, take your shoes off, sit down, and just be, and just exist. Um, kids need that exact same thing, and they can do that through play, and they can come home from school, and, and they can ha have an hour or two or whatever to, to, to just be themselves and just decompress and, and get back to... I don't want to say a normal state, but just kind of a normal state, and you know, keep all the all the stuff that they learned in school 
that's going to also come into their, how they're going to play, and how they're going to play is going to go back into school. So, you know, the American Academy, American Academy of Pediatrics saying, just, you, you, you know, have this almost prescription to play, is, 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 it's allowing parents to let their kids be kids, and it's, it's almost saying it's okay. It's okay that a kid is going to go and play dolls for an hour and a half. Because while you might think they're actually not doing something, they are problem solving. They are maybe going through something that happened to them or a friend or they saw during the day and how are they going to react and how are they going to problem solve and think, if this happens next time, what can I do? And that's the kind of stuff that they're saying. So really the American Academy of Pediatrics is saying it's okay to let, let kids be kids. Just and if, you, and if it needs that you need to have almost uh, someone's, per, someone's permission, like your physician's permission, then go ahead. And, and a lot of times nowadays people don't want to take that step. They want to have that it's okay to go ahead and do that. So in a lot of our a lot of the pediatric practice, we are telling parents it's okay to let kids cry it out, or we're okay, it's okay to do this. And they parents, I think, know this, but they just want to make sure that what they're doing isn't going to harm. Because every parent thinks if I let my kid do X, Y, or Z, that's going to cause a problem. Every parent is thinking, oh, hey, I let them do something, and now that's why they're they're going to be a, a serial killer. Like, no, they're they're not going to be. They're they're going to be fine. They're just, you know, just because they're playing violently, you know, like G.I. Joe's are fighting, it doesn't mean that they're going to go and make that into a violent lifestyle. It's just, this is just a conflict that they're having and they're going to solve this problem. So let them, let them do that. And so I think a lot about, you know, again, playtime, you know, what it, what it did for me, and I can see from how, I mean, you learn, of course, and you know, and coping, of course, in the behavior. And I think from a physiologic standpoint, as an intern, so we, we, we think about, you know, cortisol levels. When you're so stressed out, you have these cortisol levels that are so high, it can affect the body adversely. And we're talking about, hey, you play, you start reducing those kind of levels, and you have other kind of metabolic things that happen beneficially to the body, as well as, like, even just some of the just regular physiologic things of just staying active, running around, you know, uh, trying to fight the childhood obesity epidemic, uh, make sure diabetes isn't on the rise in kids. And you're, I know you're seeing them all the time in your practice, Dr. Kobar. And so, like, there's so many more benefits so you can play and achieve top ac academic uh, things as well, too. It's interesting. Um, uh, I've pulled pull up an article here, and they quoted that in uh, 2001 uh, when um, the No Child Left Behind app was instituted by George, George W. Bush, President George W. Bush, and it encouraged classrooms um, uh, as early as preschool to focus more on structured activities to promote academic results. And it turns out that actually it led to a, quote, corresponding decrease in playful learning. And so again, you're trying to get these kids to, to test. And I would argue, if you're in this kind of day and age, in the 21st century, I want, I want kids to be creative. I want innovation. I don't want imitation. Mm -hmm. Because when you're not creating, when you're not playing, you're not being creative. And to compete, if this is like our standards, that like we gotta compete, we gotta be structured, I don't know how that's gonna create innovation. Right, and that's, yeah. and that's the thing, that people are, that teach, in some of the things with the curriculums, they're teaching for the test. They're teaching so that your kindergartner is gonna be ready for the SAT. And although that's an important thing, you wanna have the, the kids, because life isn't always gonna be one of these four choices. Life is gonna be about, here's something like it, and you have to creatively come to an, uh, the actual solution. And sometimes some people get so structured that they can't think outside the box to get to that next level. And that's where play comes in because there's going to be something that's going to happen and you know the, the Barbie doll is not going to have an arm or something like, okay, well, how is she going to do this? Well, you know, let's figure this out. Or, you know, I don't have this toy and let me make these toys. Into this. So th there is that, cre that, creative, that creativity that's just starting to get lost a little bit with kids and it's, it's 
kind of just like trying to, again, the Academy, I think, is like, let's reel it back a little bit and let's get back to that and let's get back to that creative play. Kim, okay, I want to ask you this question. You know, I, I think about, yeah, we're talking a lot about, again, like, schools and stuff testing for cogn uh, cognition, the cognitive aspects and intellectual aspects. But, but to get where you got to in life, to do the things, you have to have that social, uh, those social skills, the emotional uh, uh, skill set as well. Too. It can't just be purely academic or cognitive. Correct. Can you explain more about that? So actually, let me just yeah. piggyback on Please go uh, right ahead. Uh, what Steve was saying. We are in a creativity crisis mm -hmm. here in the, the United States. And it's very apparent. If you just look at TV, you're just seeing the same TV shows that we saw 10 years ago. If you look at movies, you're just seeing the same movies that we saw 10, 20 years ago. There is a creativity crisis in the U.S. And play is what's going to help us overcome that. It's through play that kids learn to be more creative. It's through play that they learn to be more innovative. It's through play that they learn how to solve problems. Play is going to help us get back to where we need to be in creativity, in innovation, and in academia. Play, unstructured play, helps grow those neurons and helps children be smarter, have the the knowledge to do better in academia as well as creativity. So let me ask the next question with Dr. Johnson. I mentioned at the beginning that, um, you know, we're talking about, uh, and a lot of stuff on the show that we do is we're trying to identify a problem and then how can we move the needle towards some concrete solutions? We may not have the solution for everything and even today we're not going to have a consensus on how to solve this problem because it's so unique and different from person to person. But we're always talking about trying to move the needle in health, aware health awareness. So when I kind of say like, hey, you know, kids are now, they're playing a lot less these days. How do we start proposing we do this? And maybe we start at the school level. Like what, what, what changes need to happen? That's a really good question. I think, you know, there's a, there's a couple of different levels you could, you could tackle that on. You know, I mean, one, one thing I see a lot of is, um, again, parents are kind of anxious about like, oh, oh, you know, what if my kid doesn't have all the opportunities? I need to make sure they get everything. I need to make sure that all of their time is, you know, structured and whatever. There's also, I, I think a lot of this comes out of this larger culture of fear that we've kind of um, developed. And some of that relates to like, you know, like you said before, we, we would just kind of be out like riding our bikes and the streetlights would come on and we'd come home and parents nowadays, I mean, no way. You know, there were, but even to the point that like, I could be home by myself when I was nine and, and that wasn't like a problem. Um, whereas now, you know, there are laws against that, right? Mm -hmm. So. I think a lot of the, the culture has shifted and I think that manifests in ways of like really, really kind of being on top of our kids. And I, I actually saw, I've, I've seen lately and then this weekend it came up again, this term uh, lawnmower parenting that has kind of developed out of helicopter parent, like it's sort of the next level. And the idea being that these parents are like kind of getting in front of their kids and taking down any possible adversity that they see, right? And I think one of the, one of the things I would really like to see shift is letting our kids struggle a little bit and letting them understand that that's totally normal as part of life. And that's when you get to those moments where you're like, oh, yeah, I get this, right? Like, you know, kind of just, just going through that process and learning how to solve that problem. And then you get that aha moment. That's and that's, true. oh, that's amazing, right? We're, we're depriving our kids of that, right? But we're also starting to see now, you know, especially at like college age and, and like those kinds of levels, these huge increases in anxiety and depression and, and, and just people, you know, kids that are, you know, young adults that are having all sorts of trouble kind of regulating their emotions and even understanding or, or recognizing their emotions. And I think part of, 
part of the way we also fix that is by fixing the same problem, right? Like we, we let them have time to themselves. We don't get in the way of all of their adversity. We know that we let them know that they're supported and loved and we're with them and we're gonna help them if things get dangerous, but you know, you I mean, when you watch your toddler start to walk, right, they're gonna fall on their butt. That's why we put that big padded diaper on and we put all the little things on the corners <laughs> and you know, you need to let older kids that do that too. And I think one of the ways we do that is is with play. And in a practical sense, maybe this is part of the solution, this, this AAP uh, idea of prescribing play and just giving parents permission. Um, but I also think at the school level, you know, I think we as, as community members and, and, and people that are advocating, advocating for, for our kids, like maybe, maybe we really push to have, you know, things like, like uh, recess and the arts and, you know, all of that. Um, really kind of protected in and not kind of teaching towards the test and we start to help you know schools have permission and ways to, to change that and, and then we can kind of do that on a community level as well. And I would argue again that uh, with the administrators at the schools I'd say again play can help you with the test mm -hmm. say, because you develop that creativity and all those kind of different scenarios and how to problem solve and you know since you I want to piggyback on what you kind of said about about recess you know, recess, I felt like when we were kids growing up, you had it for, I might be exaggerating, but it's not like you're out there all day, all maybe an hour. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. And, uh, and, and now, recess being cut. Uh, you know, uh, off air, we were talking a little bit about how school lunches now. Um, 15 minutes you get for lunch, and lunch starts at 9.50 in the morning, by the way. Yeah. You're just like, what's going on there? I felt like when I was in high school, I had a, had a good 45, 50 minutes, maybe even an hour for lunch. And again, because you're not trying to cram all this stuff in, and I'm not too sure if that results, if you're cramming it in, if that results in us moving the needle as far as competing for jobs when we get older or things like that. What's your take on that, Dr. Gower? Well, I, you know, I, I agree with what, what you've been saying. I mean, I think part of it is, for schools, um, is letting them have some of the arts and the playtime and the gym uh, time, because it gives them also a chance to not be so hyper-focused on the academic part of school, and that's important. But, you know, lunch is important. I know, um, I think if I'm not mistaken, in France, kids have an hour and it's an actual, they sit down at a table and they learn, because that's a social, it's a time for them to be social, and that's a huge thing to learn how to interact with people, because now we're so fragmented, you know, that, that people don't know their neighbors, they don't know some of these things, they don't know that the world around them, and we need that social aspect, and that's where play can come in, be it with the parent or with other kids, and again, you know, when we were kids, it'd be like, hey, I'm going down the street, and I'm going to go see if Mike's available. If he's not, I'll go see if Chad is. If he's not, I'll go see if Matt is. Now it's, we have, an, we have a scheduled play date. You can go see Chad from 1 to 1.45. Then we're going to get in the car for 15 minutes, and we're going to go see Mike from 2 to 2. And everything, even play is structured, which, you know, that is, that's a problem with, with the parents. But for the school, letting kids have some of that and maybe let them think outside the box because we do have to have those, those kids that, Sometimes thinking outside the box is seen as a bad thing, and and it's it's well you're not doing it you know you're not doing it this way it's you're not doing math this way well if we're still getting to the answer of you know one plus two equals three that's great if you're going it in a little bit of a roundabout way it might be a different way of thinking and that kid that's thinking outside the box who knows they, that might be the person that's going to cure cancer or that's going to do something you know something great in in the world or if not they're at least thinking and that's important we, we got we, we have to get back to a society of thinkers as opposed to a society of just regurgitators and sometimes we have there's so much emphasis uh, with just regurgitate the facts and you know know that this happened on this date that's great but sometimes it's it's the why why did this happen and that's what we have to do and sometimes that and that's where play can come into why did this happen if, if you're playing in you know this this 
this game didn't go this way. Why? What was there something that could have happened that you know and you can kind of go back and you can kind of relive that and the parents can go back and, and teach for the younger kids. While you were playing this game, this is why you ended up here, and what was there something we could have done different? And now you know for the next time, you can kind of do it. But also, giving parents, letting parents permit their kids to fail, that's a huge thing, and 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 to do it because again, we as parents, no one wants their kids to, we, you know, we don't we don't say here kids, here's here's a box of knives and go have fun. We're not going to do that, but kids do have to kind of get dirty and, and and learn from their mistakes because if they never get a chance to learn from their mistakes. They're never when a mistake when something does happen. They're not going to know how to how to get around that fact, and that's a huge thing for for we as parents that we have to kind of step back and let kids be kids, and we can manage some things, but some things you just have to let the kid learn on their own. Thank you, thank you very much. I want to take a quick time out and quick, a quick plug to our sponsor today, Main Street Candy and Toys. Main Street Candy and Toys of Elmhurst, Illinois, located at one two three North York Street a family-owned boutique toy store specializing in award-winning toys and gifts for children of all ages, located in beautiful Elmhurst City Center, steps from the Union Pacific West Metro stop. Vetted educational kits, including robotics, circuitry, chemistry, and other science varieties, active outdoor play, pretend play, crafts, books, trains, eco-friendly toys, and architecture-slash-building kits, gift wrapping, always complimentary. Spreading the joy of play every day. Check them out at www.MainStreetCandyAndToys.com. So again, we're thankful for very much for our sponsor to support what we're talking about today um, and really <coughs> developing a partnership. And I want to talk a little bit, speaking of partnership, and I'm going to ask this question, question to Ken. Mm -hmm. um, we're talking right now a little bit about like what can be done at the school level, but what can be done more at the community level or even at uh, a government level to try to help move the needle on this issue, allowing kids to, to be kids. Right. I, I think it's really uh, important that the American Academy of Pediatrics has come out with that statement. I think that's going to help a lot. I think in, in um, schools, I think teachers and um, uh, administrators are recognizing and that, like I was saying before, I think the pendulum is beginning to swing the other, the other way. They're recognizing the importance of play. Um, you were mentioning before um, lunchtime getting shorter and shorter. We've all experienced times when we're trying to solve a problem and you're in the middle of it and as soon as you take a break from it and go do something else, go take a shower even, suddenly, Eureka, you've found the answer. So we all have experienced that time when you've given your brain a break and let it freely run and do its own thing for a little while. That's what play is all about. So I think as, as uh, um, teachers and administrators and school officials start really putting, putting the brakes on it and making it more important as a part of uh, what they do in the schools, then I think communities and, and our elected officials will recognize the importance of it as well. And put a line in the sand that there has to be a certain amount of free play for children. Thank you very and then also, much. I'm sorry to that. Also, parks. I think you need to have parks mm -hmm. and safe parks mm -hmm. and safe places for kids to go out and play because that's going to be a huge thing. Because if you're in a community that doesn't have something like that, then where do kids go? And they can't go out and play in the street because there's going to be someone texting and not looking, and you increase that. So having a, a safe place for kids just to hey, go out and run around and just be the crazy kids we all are. Mm -hmm. Go and do that. That's that's something huge that that uh, communities can can promote and. Uh, you know, so through the government and stuff like that, that would be a great, 
Great uh, thing for them to do. I think you read my brain, by the way. Like, me and you have this, this connection. No, I was actually going to ask a question about uh, in relation to communities, and I'll uh, ask you this question, and you can answer this one too, uh, Dr. Kobar. But we think about the communities, not all communities have the same resources, and certainly there are communities that are underserved, underprivileged, and we're trying to say, how can a child in that kind of environment who may have some daily struggles that other kids may not have, how can they? get play going when they might be having challenges just to sometimes even survive. Right. Right. And that's, I think that the biggest thing is we have to get the community and get more kind of the elected officials, but also just people in the community to realize, hey, this is a safe spot for kids and just to let that spot be so that they, they can have that opportunity. And, and it, it stinks that, you know, that, that every kid isn't offered that same opportunity to go out and just be a kid and they have to sit there and think about, well, if I go here, I could get, you know, there's things on the news just now about a little kid who just got shot. And there's, it, 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 you don't want to have that situation and that's just not fair. So promoting the communities and, and the leaders and the leaders in the communities to kind of give, give that, give the kids the opportunity and that's it. and how that happens I wish I wish there was an easy answer to that but it would it would be great to have every kid have that opportunity to have free time to just and and, a sa and again a safe free place now, Dr. Johnson from a from a psychiatric standpoint and you know, and you've worked with some of these these children these families that uh, come from underserved areas or at risk areas and here we are trying to talk about play what, what how do you kind of address it because you know you know that you know if that kid does maybe not get play or have some of those resources, they're going to end up on the wrong path in life when they get to become an adolescent or a young adult. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's a constant worry um, with, in, in a lot of our communities and and with a lot of the kids that I work with. You know, like there's there's that balance of again, sometimes that culture of fear is very very justified. You know, and there are aspects of it even as simple as like somebody's not going to be paying attention if they're out in the street and they're going to run over or you know somebody's going to have an opportunity to present them with something that they don't they don't need and i think part of the way we we help with that is um, you know creating resources even when kids are younger um, for whether it's after school programs or or other sort of like um, yeah, I think like big brother, yeah. like big brother programs, something like that. Yeah, where they can they can get a little bit of mentorship, yeah. um, and we can even again like have them have the ability to kind of relax and and play and work through some of that anxiety and build some of those problem solving skills. That so when they're when they're older kids, then they can kind of like navigate those situations with a little more um, creativity and savvy and. And be like, no, you know what? This is not the path I want my life to go down. So how do I get out of this? What do I do? Mm -hmm. um, and have a little bit more more perspective and insight and kind of all those things. And so I think that we, you know, I think we could do a whole other series, not even a whole other show, on like how do we how do we address this problem within different communities and within different um, you know situations or challenges. Um, but I think I think really what it comes down to is you know we we work to support kids at, at every level as best we can and with whatever resources we can kind of come up with. And also, I think the longer we do that, again, the more we kind of, more we kind of move towards um, having more of that, you know, kids growing up with more of that emotional health and more of that perspective, the more we're also, again, going to be able to kind of re-engage in our communities and the more we're going to be able to say, like, you know what, I can take this perspective and I can see that that situation is not what it needs to be. And here's how I can help. Here's a creative solution for how I can help with that. 
and you know, so it really is an investment to start early and kind of go and you know, we're going to build those resources as we put resources in. Thank that you. Makes sense. It does make sense. Thank you very much for giving us some of that perspective. And one thing I always talk about with any kind of health issue is, yeah, I want, I want, we want equity. We want an even playing field. We want kids to be kids and have the resources to succeed. We know that equity and access is not, it's not there not for yet. a lot of the time. No. So we're trying to work, but it, had, it, it takes things like this, discussion like this, to talk frankly about. Uh, the problems that we face, but also hopefully propose some solutions and hopefully act on that. I want to just pick back on that real quick. I think the other thing too is that we, we always kind of have this idea of like I have to fix the whole thing. And the fact of the matter is that even if you start to fix the small things, mo a lot of those are going to snowball, right? Yeah. But also the, the more you fix, the farther along you get, right? So I think even if we can get ourselves to do a few little things, you know, to kind of help the, the kind of community at large, that's actually going to take us farther than we can possibly anticipate. We can do it. The power of positivity, there's no doubt. Uh, but it takes it to get engaged individuals, mm -hmm. and this is just fantastic. I want to ask a question to Kim. Um, so so we're, we're looking at play, and, and play can mean different things to different people. Uh, can you give us a couple examples? You know, I mean, we've been talking a little bit more about maybe some of the younger kids, mm -hmm. but what does play mean to, like, the preteen or, like, the teenager? from your perspective? Sure. Um, so at ASTRA, which is uh, my organization, our members recognize the importance of play across the lifespan. So from birth to the end. There you go. Birth <laughs> play, to death. Same. There you go. Yeah. Play yeah. is very important for your entire life. Mm -hmm. um, we, we were, you were talking before about play and trying to uh, push the importance of it for the community. I think it starts with playful parents. Parents can play with their kids. And sort of traditionally, you'll see dad playing with the kids. It's a more physical kind of play, a little bit of roughhousing. Oh, I wrestle with my kids there all the time. There you go. Right? There you go. Dad, dad <laughs> sort of does that, throw the ball and the yeah. physical kind of play. Mom is a little bit more organized play, a little bit, you know, card game, board game. Mm -hmm. But still, family playing together. That is the start of it. That's how you kind of get that ball going. And, and the dynamics of everybody playing together. Big brother, little brother, you know, sort of a little bit further, a little bit older, a little bit younger. Everybody playing together. Looking for those games that we can all play, no matter what our age is. Excellent. Let me ask a question back to uh, Dr. Johnson. Uh, what are some of the signs or symptoms that, that, uh, that a child may present with if they are maybe overwhelmed or overburdened? Are there any kind of signs to look out for as, 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 a, as a parent or a caregiver? In their, in their kids' behavior? Absolutely. Um, you know, anxiety is, of course, one of the first things that, that kind of comes to my mind. Um, kids that are worried about, um, out, you know, what's going to happen, what if this happens. Um, kids that are kind of always, like, like tensed up, and, and, um, and a lot of times that can also manifest itself in more physical symptoms. So, like, muscle pain or stomach aches. Stomach aches are kind of the classic one. Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, trouble sleeping at night. Um, depression in kids can be can be very similar to adults in the sense of like they just don't enjoy things anymore or they you know are, are, are feeling sad or looking sad and remember too that kids may not always have the vocabulary um, for these kind of things so they may not may not say like hey mommy I'm sad they might say like this is terrible you know or, or something or, or just just not look themselves Depression in kids can also come out as irritability and anger a lot, and I think parents um, don't don't always see that quite the same quite the same way, right? Like if you know your kid comes up and is like, 
don't feel good, or boy, this is, I'm really sad, or oh, what if something happens? Versus if they come up and they're like, everything's terrible and I hate you, right? Like you're going to have a different response to that. But the fact of the matter is, they may be, they may still be telling you the same thing. And kids often tell us things not in verbal ways, right? So their their actions actually tell us much, much more. And that's part of the reason, like I said, that mastery play or their, that like imaginative play. If you're kind of watching from the sidelines, you can get a lot of. I mean, we actually do that as therapy sometimes. Parents. Parents are like, why are you just playing with my kids? I, I drop them off, and an hour later, he's like, got covered in Play-Doh, and like, what did you even do? But kids will tell us a lot in that kind of way, and so kind of, kind of watching for those signs. The other thing that I think comes up a lot is, um, you know, there there has been a huge spike over the past, you know, couple of decades in the diagnosis of ADHD, and I mean, it. From the data I've seen, it seems like it is actually underdiagnosed still in some places and kind of overdiagnosed in others. And so we're missing some kids that still need help and we're kind of pushing a label on others. And But I think part of, the, part of the reason that we're seeing more of that is ADHD kids don't, like they do well with structure, but they don't always do well with sort of the traditional educational model, right? So if you're if you're being asked to just memorize a list of things and like dump that back out, their their brains may not be avail you know able to kind of process that, and they're going to be looking at things from a more abstract, more creative kind of way to begin with. And if you don't give them an opportunity to do that, their school performance is going to tank. And so ironically, to all of the you know no child left behind and all that stuff, one of the signs of of depression and anxiety of just being overwhelmed and maybe maybe your brain just doesn't work this way is poor school performance. So we're, you know, in some ways we might actually be shooting ourselves in the foot a little bit by, by teaching the test and our academic performance, as it, as it said, has actually gone down. So. Dr. Comer, from your perspective, you know, and, and thank you Dr. Josh for giving us a kind of a psychiatric perspective, what are you seeing from a pediatrician perspective? Are you seeing some of the things that Dr. Johnson's saying? Are you seeing other things a little bit differently? Uh, I'm seeing it exactly just like she said. It, it, we will have the kids coming in. Well, we're seeing a lot more school phobia coming in. Mm -hmm. So kids coming in and we have some kids that refuse to go to school and cannot go to school and are taken out of school for, for a reason because they're Whatever, the, whatever, if it's a school performance issue, they just don't want to go. Um, so we have some of those kids, and that's obviously the extreme cases. We have a lot of the stomach aches. We have a lot of the, the what they call the somatic symptoms. All the, I have a headache, and all, all the, the physical manifestations of something that's actually deeper. And, and again, ADHD, uh, ADHD, depression, and anxiety, especially in younger kids, are very, they're all very similar. So it's, it's kind of hard to diagnose. And so sometimes someone who has uh, anxiety about something is going to present with you know not sleeping well, so of course then they're just not going to be functional. I mean, when we don't sleep well, we're not very functional the next day. So now they're in school, they're kind of and kids can get a little hyper. So now they're a little hyper because they're a little wired. They're wired from not sleeping well, from some anxiety. So then it's going to come across as oh well, they're just not learning. They're they're space either. And it's like well, they're anxious about something because they didn't get that chance because you know they came home from school and they had to go. You know they had literally three seconds to to scarf something because they have to go to their you know, they're at their, their basketball practice, and then they're done for basketball practice, then they have to go to their baseball practice, then they have to go do tumbling, and then they have to go pick up their sister from this, and then they have to go, and then they and then they have to do their homework, but now they're finishing their homework at 10.30, and they're in second grade. And and there's this push for every kid is, you know, baseball, when I was in baseball, maybe it's just because I was not good, but, you know, we were we, we played baseball, and, and that was it, and, and we were, and it was great, but we enjoyed it. And now I'm seeing kids coming, and that's the problem that we're having is we're seeing some kids doing the 
again, quote unquote, fun things, but it's turned into such a, um, you know, they're in travel, whatever, and it's no longer been as fun because their kids are eight hours a day of, the, the, the thing like gymnastics, there are people that are pulled out of school and the, the, the gymnastics coaches are like, well, they can maybe have their schedule so that they have like a lunch and a free period at the end of the day so we can miss that so they can come and start gymnastics at 2.30 even though school's done at 3. So something that's supposed to be fun is now turned into a job. And so like a lot of stuff, if you have something, that, you know, it's like vacations. Vacations are supposed to be fun, but if you have, there's a lot of planning and all that stuff, it suddenly you come back and people always say, I need a vacation from my vacation. Well, it was something that was supposed to be fun, but you've kind of turned it into something that isn't fun. And that's what we're seeing. We're seeing some of those stuff with play. So we're seeing the kids that should have fun with baseball and all that stuff, or I'm just picking on baseball, but I mean baseball, football, whatever, I don't care what it is, but we're seeing these kids not having the fun because they're, it's, become, it's become a job to them, and it's, it, it's not having that. So there's, we're seeing, and we're also seeing the injuries from these, from the plays. So especially for the kids that are older who are baseball, you know, we're seeing the kids coming in with their elbows, you know, their, 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 their broken legs or uh, overuse injuries, and we're seeing these at younger ages, and even though there's limits, okay, you can only pitch, you know, you know 30 pitches, 60 pitches, whatever it is, Sometimes some kids, you know, they're, they're also trying to please their parents because that's what kids want to do. They want to please us. And so if a kid's not the best first baseman, you know, they're now getting anxious because, oh, hey, I missed that one, you know, play that was almost impossible to make. And so now they're dwelling on that and they don't get, it stops being fun. And that's, and then that's, that's a sad thing to see kids yeah. happen with kids. And you see that pressure come on not only in that kind of setting where it's supposed to be fun, but then that bleeds into home. And bleeds in the school the next day, and then and then a lot of times your kid gets labeled um, through the school system, and and that's the last thing you want. And you're like, oh my gosh, where do I start? Uh, Kim, how do how do we how do we how do we deal with this? Through play. There you go. So Love it. My members, like I said before, they are toy store owners, like your sponsor. What you want to do is go and visit your neighborhood toy store. There you will find folks that have that expertise. What they're going to do is listen to you. Our toy store owners are feet on the floor. They know their products, they walk the floor. When you come in, they'll unbox something, they'll take it out, they'll let you play with it, they'll let the child play with it. They'll give you some insight into what kind of toy you should be purchasing for that age, for that develop, stage of development, for those, that child's interest. That's what you want to do, is try to find your neighborhood toy store so that you can get some of those insights from our experts. Our, our organization has a certification program. It's called the Certified Play Expert. Our members through, who have taken the Certified Play um, track have learned the science behind play. It's very interesting that you were describing um, depression. The opposite of play is not inactivity. The opposite of play is depression. You know, those, those words hit, hit home, especially when we're talking about the problem, the nature of the problem right here. We're talking about trying to, I mean, trying to find solutions to this reality, this growing reality. Things that we didn't have to necessarily face ourselves because, you know, we were, you know, even though we had some structure, mm -hmm. it just seems like now this shift is going on. But again, it takes this kind of conversation mm -hmm. to talk about it and see how we can offer up some concrete solutions. So we got about five minutes left. And so what I want to kind of do is kind of close us down. And again, this has been just, just fascinating discussion and, and really trying to talk about, number one, identifying the problem at hand, but also how can we just go about making a difference. One step at a time, like Dr. Johnson said a few minutes ago, it's just sometimes the little things can lead to that positive uh, snowball, that positive domino effect. So what I want to do as we kind of wrap things up, 
Uh, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we were talking about the chief complaint, this how do we get to the situation with kids not necessarily having time to be kids and playtime being cut, and we want to talk about play, 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 we want to encourage it. Now we're going to kind of wrap things up. So the assessment and plan is when we kind of, in medicine, we talk about, here's your game plan. It's almost like, all right, you came into my office, this is your diagnosis, and now implement the plan. So I'm going to start with, with Ken. Why don't you give us a couple, like, take-home points uh, for our listeners, for our viewers out there, about the importance of play. So my prescription, and I'm not a doctor. I don't even play it on, a on prescription, TV. Though. I like it. My prescription is family play. Let mom, let dad, let all the siblings, let's get together, let's play. Find those kinds of activities that are appropriate for everyone. Get in there. Maybe it's physical play, maybe it's we're outside throwing the baseball, maybe it's indoor play, maybe we've got a board game out and we're going to throw the dice and move the pieces, whatever it is, let's interact with one another. Let mom and dad recognize the importance of play, let the kids learn from mom and dad. How do you behave when you lose? How do you behave when you don't get exactly what you were hoping to get? Let mom and dad be the mentors. Kids learn from that. And that's how they will oops, that's how they will learn and grow and play. Thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Uh, Dr. Kovar, give us a couple take-home points. I think the it kind of a lot of stuff is piggybacking off that. I think the biggest thing is let parents know that it's okay for their kids to fail. It's okay for their kids to just be kids. And they don't have to always have everything related academically and just you'll be surprised how much time that's not academic actually becomes academic through play and how kids can solve problems and when you take a step back and actually look at when you watch kids it's amazing to see how their minds work and let their minds work because they're they're little computers and they're little sponges and they take everything in but they can also give you new perspectives so I think letting a kid just be a lot of times is, is an amazing thing and, and sit back and enjoy the ride. Excellent. Dr. Johnson? So I I think my take-home points would be, one, remember that, you know, from a brain perspective and from an emotional perspective, play is hard work. Kids are actually doing a lot of work when they're they're playing. And the other thing is remember, too, that we we teach, as Kim was saying, we teach our kids best by what we do, right? And so be sure that you're also kind of making your own self-care a priority and giving yourself time to play and have some leisure and just decompress as well, and teaching them that that's important. Thank you. My kind of take-home points are as follows. Uh, again, we're here today trying to talk about how we move this needle. We know there's a problem going on, and we're trying to offer some solutions. We don't have all the answers, but as we continue to work together, we can get our kids to be kids again. So I want to thank my guests. We have Dr. Kate Johnson, Assistant Professor, Board Certified Adult and Child Adolescent Psychiatrist at Loyola University Medical Center. Check her out www.loyolamedicine.org. We've got Dr. Stephen Kovar, board-certified pediatrician at Kids First Pediatrics. Check him out, www.kidsfirst.com. And, of course, Ms. Kimberly Mosley, president of the American Specialty Toy Retailing Association. Check her out, www.astratoy.org. I also want to thank my sponsor, of course, Main Street Candy and Toys. Uh, they've just been a great sponsor for talking about and sharing the same, uh, this common vision uh, for the challenges at hand. Next week on the show, we're going to be talking about living life to the fullest. Again, I'm Dr. G. Check me out, of course. Again, we're here to build that trust and deliver that truth. I'll catch you guys next time. Peace out.